Everyone, you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. On today's program, we go to Los Angeles County, California, with an update on how the COVID-19 pandemic is impacting the larger urban indigenous populations and communities. The launching of a new Native American diabetes project and part two of our continuing conversation from a Native American veteran's perspective on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. All that and more here on American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright The lone blue elk in the black of the night You can hear, you can hear The whisper in the valley In the first segment of today's program, we go to Los Angeles County, California, to discuss two critically important issues. First, an update on how the COVID-19 pandemic is impacting the larger urban indigenous communities and populations. And second, the launching of a brand new Native American diabetes project and how diabetes is impacting the larger urban indigenous populations and communities throughout Los Angeles County. Our two guests for the first segment of today's program are Dr. Andrea Garcia and Running Bear Ramirez. Dr. Garcia is a medical doctor from the Mandan Hidatsa Rikara Nations. She is an appointed commissioner with the Los Angeles City County Native American Indian Commission. She works with the Los Angeles County Department of Mental Health American Indian Counseling Center and is a board member for the United American Indian Involvement. Our second guest is Running Bear Ramirez from the Yohabitam Nation. He's a well-respected activist, works with Indian Health Services, is a creative consultant for several companies, and is a philanthropist. And in 2018, he joined the Project Angel Food Board of Directors. He is instrumental in the launching of the Native American Diabetes Project that we'll discuss here shortly on American Indian Airwaves. I start our interview by asking Dr. Andrea Garcia to provide listeners an update on how the COVID-19 pandemic is impacting the larger urban indigenous Los Angeles County communities and populations. So I think like I can start by focusing on LA County. I would say that in terms of cases and fatalities, you know, the data seems to suggest that relative to our percent of the population that our um, community of natives in LA specifically um, hasn't had tremendous loss. And again, I say the data suggests, um, and I'm not sure if I've spoken about like data before and sort of like the use of certain definitions that essentially 
cut our population in half. But I, I'm a little skeptical of that data um, because I think that we can all say that we know someone who's been affected by um, or have lost someone um, due to COVID. And so, so I'll just start with that. You know, data suggests otherwise, but I think from a community perspective, we can feel um, the losses quite heavily. I would say, interestingly and paradoxically, from a vaccine standpoint, um, Department of Public Health did hear our concerns about the definitions that we use for Native people um, when it comes to reporting. And so they then adopted this definition that was more inclusive of, um, you know, Native identity, um, which can be people who identify as Native and other races or Native plus um, Hispanic or Latino, right? Um, and that's because of colonization and all of the things. But <laughs> using that that more inclusive definition, um, according to LA County Department of Public Health, our Native community seems to be the second most vaccinated of all populations. Again, like we, we do wonder <laughs> if that's the case, but if indeed it is, that's wonderful because we know that communities like ours um, also have a lot of unfortunately mistrust in systems, right, um, in public systems and in institutions. And so I personally think that that's a wonderful thing um, if that's the case. And, you know, that, that's it in sort of broad strokes. I think um, what we are seeing, um, even with communities that are not our own Native community, is that the younger um, populations uh, seem to be um, lagging a little bit in terms of vaccine uptake. And so we just got off our COVID community working group call. And, um, you know, for instance, like UAII, United American Indian Involvement, along with California Native Vote Project, like they're hosting um, a children's health day event to sort of um, give that local touch to um, uh, vaccinating our, our younger people. So that's it kind of broad strokes. And I can say from my perspective as um, a physician within our LA County Department of Mental Health where we primarily serve Native folks in our clinic, American Indian Counseling Center. My clients in particular, um, I unfortunately have definitely lost two over the course of the pandemic, one due to COVID directly, and then have had we've had other folks who have been positive and whose health have been um, affected both physically and mentally. Um, I would say the theme over the past couple years has been just one of grief, people uh, shouldering tremendous loss. And so the mental health impacts of this pandemic cannot be underestimated. Well, one of the things I was going to mention uh, a few weeks ago, I uh, interviewed uh, Monique Castro and uh, Denise Copeland of uh, Indigenous Wellness, uh, Indigenous Circle of Wellness. And one of the things that I got out of them in interviewing them for almost an hour in talking about Indigenous healing and Indigenous wellness is this systemic lack of resources and particularly having enough culturally competent and skilled people to work with indigenous peoples in terms of indigenous wellness throughout the Los Angeles County area. And I was just wondering from the work that you've been doing, you know, in relationship to, uh, to COVID, are you experienced uh, kind of those same types of systemic problems? Or are you seeing a similar pattern? Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, it's interesting. Uh, 
Long story short, yes. The answer is yes. Um, we have had to um, be very vocal to try to get our voices at the right tables, right? right. And to harness the particular resources that that our community needs. Um, I think like vaccines very early on, right, before they were pretty much available anywhere, um, was a big one. Like we said, like, you know, there's some trust issues in our community. Right. Just give us the vaccines. We know how to do it. Our community trusts us. <laughs> and that was sort of the impetus of like how and why we started or stood up um, three of our pop-up clinics. So yes. And I think as a community, we together, when we work together, are extremely powerful. And so that's why we started this working group, right? Right. So mm -hmm. since March of 2020, all of, not all, but a good majority of our CBOs um, have been coming together to provide um, that mutual support, mutual aid, sharing of resources, and we continue to do that to this day. So I think the other side of that narrative is like, Yes, there are barriers to um, getting our hands on resources. Yes, there have been some um, institutional shifts so that they're able to more nimbly funnel those resources to towards our community. And at the same time, like our organizations have been kicking butt together. <laughs> like we have been doing everything we can mm -hmm. to support each other and ultimately our community. And I think that's what is important to take away too, is like, even though we don't necessarily have easy access, like we do whatever it takes to get things out um, to make sure our community is well. Yeah. Mo Monique and, uh, was uh, articulating the same thing that when it comes to the indigenous organizations, there's just been really strong cultural working relationships just interpersonally but also institutionally and everybody's working has been working really hard to fill in the gaps maybe where one organization doesn't offer one services or one type of services other organizations are are kind of filling in those blanks and and um, so she was saying you know the same thing and and um, I, I guess what I'm curious, to, when we talk about COVID right now, are there any alarming or anything disconcerting that maybe you're seeing that uh, you foresee as a, a, a growing issue that needs to be addressed in relationship to COVID-19 and uh, the pandemic, how it's impacting Indigenous peoples and not just personal health, but in terms of our cultural practices and and, and our peoples and, and how living cultures have been uh, further challenged, if you will, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, I would say aside from the obvious like physical manifestations and repercussions, right, of COVID-19 um, and, and just ensuring that we're all vaccinated and doing what we need to do to be safe. Right. I would say there's two extra concerns. One is just the, um, I would say, kind of economic implications and, and what that means broadly. So folks losing their jobs, um, you know, employment, income issues, um, and also homelessness. So homelessness is another thing that I'm deeply passionate about and right. like also try to convene the community on. And I would say that um, that has been a very real consequence of the pandemic too, in like its most severe form. So just making sure that again, like we're proximal to all of the resources mm -hmm. and that our agencies are continue to work together in, in all the ways possible to make sure that um, 
that we can, that our community can survive in a way that is comfortable, right? And that folks right. aren't getting pushed out of their housing, um, that they have food to eat, et cetera. So like the real um, direct consequences of, of this. And then you mentioned like cultural perspective, like for sure, I think everyone is starving to be together again and slowly that's happening. You see powwows coming back, et cetera. I would say from like the clinical point of view, a lot of our in-person groups have stopped. Um, some patients choose to come into the office, some still don't um, for various reasons. And so I would say that the last thing is like just the isolation of it, particularly for those folks who may not have family here um, or may not have like a deep social network of like what that means moving ahead and um, reestablishing those relationships. So um, yeah, I, I think those are all real. And I think like also, I don't want to transition this too early, but <laughs> why the study that we're going to talk about is so important right. because it is also um, trying to address social isolation in the context of the pandemic, right? So. Right. And, you know, we've talked about uh, native homelessness in Los Angeles County uh, before. And, and you know, we've talked about COVID and there are all these issues or problems are interconnected and interrelated. But when it, you know, when you're talking about, you know, uh, trying to prevent indigenous people from being homeless and getting folks off the streets that are homeless. And uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, just the cost of living has become, uh, uh, has gone up uh, from basic food costs to, you know, even rental costs in LA County have gone up, I think an average of 25 to 30% in the last uh, five to, to eight years. And and then with COVID, right, there's this compounding effects, but part of that compounding effects, and, um, it, and you touched on this, right, is our health right before COVID pre-existing health conditions and I was wondering are you seeing with the effects of COVID-19 the amplification or complication of pre-existing health conditions whether it be diabetes or forms of depression or suicide rates etc etc well since I'm presently in a mental health clinic, um, I can speak to that like on, on the ground. I would say there was a period of time, which was interesting at the beginning of the pandemic, mm-hmm. where folks seemed to be doing okay. Um, <laughs> and I, I can't really explain like what was going on in that period, but for a moment I was surprised. I'm like, okay, like our folks are stable, that's good. But I think as it dragged out, And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Dr. Andrea Garcia and Running Bear Ramirez. We're discussing how the COVID-19 pandemic has been impacting the larger urban Los Angeles County indigenous communities and populations and the launching of a new project, Native American Diabetes Project and more. And now back to the interview. You know, some... Folks here and there um, seem to show a little more severity in their symptoms. And again, it could have been the isolation. Right. Um, it could have been like, you know, insecurity about, you know, what was to come, just like this prolonged um, period of like human history, right? Of like not knowing what's going to happen. It could also right. be to like economic 
factors. So yeah, there there was I would say some provocation of symptoms and also all the grief again. Right. And at the same time, our our mental health system in general um, was severely impacted. Like more and more folks were leaning on or reaching towards um, mental health resources, which is fantastic um, that they were able and ready and willing to reach out. Mm-hmm. But the flip side is that now a greater percentage of the population like is needing these services because of the moment that we're in. So that was eye-opening as well. Not to mention like all the things that happened during the pandemic too, Um, you know, like George Floyd and like um, all of the social upheaval and and all of that. So yeah, it's, it's been heavy. And now we're, you know, Russia, Ukraine. (laughs) It's no surprise that all of these, um, mental health imbalances have been exacerbated. And and I guess uh, one, one of the interviews uh, that I did during the COVID pandemic was also uh, regarding the rise or the spike in domestic violence in Native households because mm-hmm. of that isolation, right? And um, so, uh, again, all these things manifesting, amplifying, and are interconnected and interrelated. And I guess... When we talk about indigenous peoples and pre-existing health conditions and in the time of before COVID and, and now during COVID, if you will, at least at this particular juncture, you know, certainly diabetes is very prevalent um, and has been very prevalent amongst Native American communities. And I was wondering maybe you could speak to that because my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is that Pre-World War II, diabetes was relatively rare amongst indigenous peoples. But after World War II, and by the time we get to the mid-1980s, diabetes is uh, a very serious disease uh, for indigenous peoples. And obviously, there's different types of diabetes. And I was wondering, maybe you could speak to that and and use that as a a segue to talk about this study and and this project and why this project, uh, the Native American Diabetes Project, is so crucially important. Yeah. So, um, Larry, to your question of like sort of the development of diabetes over right. the over time, right, in our right. community, for me, I liken diabetes, but also all of our chronic comorbidities and, right. you know, traumas, et cetera. <laughs> um, I like to make a direct tie to um, essentially like colonization, structural racism, federal Indian policy making. And what I mean by that specifically, so let's choose one um, federal Indian policy, which um well, let's choose a couple. So, <laughs> so number one, like being dispossessed of your land and right. ways of being and like, in, you know, whatever lifestyles you had before, whether it was subsistence farming, whether it was hunting, etc., is for sure <laughs> most certainly going to alter, you know, the a type of um, physical condition and health that you were used to before. Compound that with like um, the federal food distribution program, which essentially like, you know, started bringing commodities to our communities after we were placed on reservations. Like we all know that commodities, um, at least back in the day, right? I haven't done an inventory as of recent, but (laughs) but, um, at least back in the day were... um, uh, nutrient poor right. and um, very uh, like 
carb heavy, like flour, oil, those types of things. And so it's no surprise that the development uh, or or that the fundamental change in like eating habits and activity levels changed and our bodies responded in that way. The other thing that I like to point to is that um, because of all of these policies, right, like assimilation, the boarding school era as a result, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <laughs> a lot of these policies essentially um, invoked trauma, right? right like right. irreconcilable trauma and intergenerational trauma. And from the medical standpoint, we know that um, traumatic events literally change the body. And so one example is like if, if someone is exposed to trauma, they're going to have more cortisol in their body and cortisol is a hormone that has to do with um, sugar production right and our right. body's ability to handle it and can also be um, responsible for things like weight gain and so if you put all of those things together so the policies that caused the trauma that disrupted our food um, uh, lifestyle and ways of being and then you know compound that with like loss of culture and cultural knowledge it's no surprise that we have diabetes. <laughs> so I think that is just sort of setting the context into like the stats that we see today, like in LA County, our diabetes death rate is um, two, almost three times higher than everybody else living in LA County. Um, and so all that being said, it's so important mm-hmm. to acknowledge Running Bear's vision and what he wants to do with the study. And I'll let him talk about it. Yeah, Running Bear, I, I... I'd like to ask you, I, I know you mentioned it earlier, the impetus for uh, for this Native American Diabetes Project, but uh, it just kind of playing off what uh, Andrea is saying and talking about settler colonialism and violence and history. And I was wondering, maybe you could speak to that um, from, in relationship to the Yahabitan people. And also when we talk about diabetes, uh, California indigenous people's diabetes rates um, at one time was twice as high or approximately twice as high as the diabetes rates for indigenous people that are not California Indians. And and I was wondering maybe um, you could to speak to that and then talk about why this project's so important and your role in it. Of course, and thank you for having me, Larry. Uh, speaking on behalf, I mean, I can't speak on behalf of the Yahavitan people, but based off of our culture and, and our story, uh, we were able to overcome a lot of the colonialism that happened to us. And now if you, you know, you see where you, how many Yamava has come, excuse me, it's been great. It's, it's been great to see our people become so prosperous and to be able to give back to the communities that we are helping now. We've been able to help San Bernardino and Highland and San Bernardino County in general uh, flourish. And we're hoping to keep it going. But coming from the diabetic perspective, or I'm, I'm not diabetic, but I do sit on the board of Indian Health Services. I'm the secretary of the board. Mm. And I do get to see a lot of data and a lot of patients. We have over 18,000 patients. And I see the diabetes come in constantly and how our patients are taken care of. And right now I'm working with Project Angel Food. I have been for the past few years. Right. And I know that there's a large Native American community in Los Angeles that don't necessarily have a reservation to come home to. Mm. And I figured that Project Angel Foods' opportunity to feed people and give them a way to interact during the pandemic. That actually, the interaction part uh, wasn't a part of it at the beginning because the pandemic had, that wasn't even a thought at the time. 
but during the pandemic, we decided to switch it up a little and, and see about uh, social interaction and how we can bring people together, especially people, Native Americans in Los Angeles because they are so far apart from their, their reservations. Uh, seeing the statistics that I get to see through Indian Health, it really scared me. And that's just within our own consortium, which is about 18,000 patients. Right. Uh, but I know Los Angeles is much greater, so I can only imagine the numbers that are out there. And there's not very, there's not very much data out there now about the diabetic community, um, the Native American diabetic community in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that Project Angel Foods Medically Tailored Meals will be able to give us some great data to use. And I'm glad Andrea and, and Dr. Claradina have been able to help us, UCLA and USC have been great partners in this project. Yeah, and I, I appreciate uh, you know that response because I in, in talking about Indian Health Services, right? Because Indian Health Services, uh, what service about two point two million Indigenous peoples, but yeah. Indian Health Services is also for fairly recognized uh, Native Americans, right? So, yeah. so the question exactly. becomes, you know, what about everybody else, right? Whether you're from a state-recognized nation uh, or you're non-state, non-fairly recognized nation or you're an indigenous person, you know, from elsewhere and you're now, cl- you know, call Los Angeles County your home and meet your thoughts on that in relationship to this project. That was one of my main concerns, uh, you know, working with Indian Health. We do, there are a lot of Natives that we aren't able to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether they are uh, descendants and they don't have enough blood quantum in their in their lineage, mm-hmm. or they're just from out of state, and that you know that, that it, it really does hurt your heart because you're here as a as a community of service. Mm-hmm. You know we're here to help the native community in general. So I, I knew that there was a need out there in Los Angeles. Just knowing the numbers that we have within our own consortium, the, the, the consortium here that I work with in San Bernardino and Riverside County is nine different tribes. Um, so just within those nine different tribes, the numbers are, are, are you know, they're pretty high. And even, even as we were talking about vaccines earlier, so far we've given out over uh, 100, yeah, we've given out over 21,000 vaccines. Wow. And that's, that's to the community. A lot of the, the tribal, the actual tribal members are a little resilient to vaccines, as Andrea was saying. You know, they're a little reluctant to, to get what's coming out. But we do give the vaccine to the community itself. So that way, the entire community within the reservation is protected. So we're trying to cover everyone that's within our community, within the consortium. But this project, what I'm trying to do is help people in Los Angeles who don't necessarily have that opportunity. Talk about the project and, and uh, what it involves, what it entails, and how can listeners, whether it be broadcasting on FM, um, the FM dial, if you will, uh, in the Los Angeles County uh, areas, uh, or people that are listening via podcast, how can people participate in, and what is the process for this project? Sure, I can take that. Okay. Um, so if you are a Los Angeles County resident and you have diabetes um, and you are above the age of 18 and self-identify as American Indian Alaska Native, you could potentially be eligible for this project. So again, live in LA, have diabetes, older than 18, self-identify as American Indian Alaska Native. Um, to your point earlier, Larry, of like, you know, eligibility restrictions for IHS, like this, this is not an IHS thing, right? right like this, right. this is um, a research study. So um, we're, we're not asking for a CDIB or anything like that. 
Right. Um, but essentially what the project is, is if you indeed qualify, you would be um, receiving um, diabetic-friendly meals for three months from Project right. Angel Food, who are amazing partners. They'll deliver them to your home. Nice. And the second arm of the intervention is you also um, receive some diabetes education, um, which is extremely important. And the third part is the social aspect. So um, you would be paired with um, a group of two other people, at least. Uh, and you can you know, support each other as you wish. And then there's also, um, in addition to the classes, other group convenings where we talk about um, like your personal goals um, for yourself um, as it relates to your health or other things. And so um, essentially three things, so food, classes in socialization. Um, because it is a research study, we uh, do ask people to fill out some surveys. And so there's a survey right when you join at the three-month mark after your meals have ended, and then at the six-month mark so we could see um, you know, what the progress is. And then um, there are also three in-person visits at United American Indian Involvement so we can um, uh, understand how physical changes are happening in your body too. So we take mm. things like your weight, your blood pressure, and your A1C, which is a, a, a measure of the sugar in your blood over a longer period of time. Um, so that's it in a nutshell. And I can give the contact information if now is the right time. Yeah, let's do it a couple times. So if you want to do that now, and then I'll ask you again uh, at the end. Yeah, sure. So for folks interested in the study, they can either email uh, native, D-M, N-A-T-I-V-E, D as in dog, M as in Mary, at usc.edu, um, or call 213-764-4550. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Dr. Andrea Garcia and Running Bear Ramirez, we're discussing how the COVID-19 pandemic has been impacting the larger urban Los Angeles County indigenous communities and populations and the launching of a new project, Native American Diabetes Project and more. And now back to the interview. Now, I, I know we, uh, we gave the very uh, short or truncated polite version of settler colonialism and violence. And, and right, and how it's uh, vastly altered our diets, um, and and how that's contributed right to this systemic issue of diabetes. And I was wondering for both of you, um, if you can discuss, you know, the, the systemic prevalence of diabetes amongst indigenous peoples, whether it be California indigenous peoples or indigenous peoples from elsewhere. And the correlation between that and COVID-19 and, and, you know, in other words, has COVID-19 altered our understanding of diabetes and for indigenous peoples at this point? Gotcha. Okay. Let, let me tackle some of the just um, <laughs> prevalent, pre prevalent issues. Yeah. So, I mean, my, my data, again, is urban-focused just because we're implementing this in an urban area. Um, but I know that for Native folks who live in urban areas, diabetes is the fourth leading cause of death. Um, and our rate, the diabetes death rate is at a 61. And this is relative to non-Hispanic whites who live in urban areas where diabetes is the 
eighth leading cause of death, and their case rate is 19. So we're, we're you know, it, it's a lot higher in our, our urban native communities in general, right, like on a national level. And then obviously in L.A. County, um, almost two to three times uh, disparity in, in that. Um, I would say that particularly in the context of COVID, right. it's so important to have control over diabetes because, as you mentioned before, it's one of the comorbidities that makes you predisposed to getting severely ill from COVID. And so it's this population in particular that we want to not only have the COVID vaccine, but all the vaccines. Like folks who have diabetes also, um, you know, they get a pneumonia vaccine as sort of their regular standard of care, right? In addition to like highly recommended for flu vaccines um, year round, because we know, we have known that your immune response can be dampened as a result of um, having this condition. So the tie is there and um, even more reason to take care of our folks with, with diabetes in the context of COVID. Running Bear, do you want to add to that? Yeah, no, just coming from the, uh, you know, the perspective of Indian Health Services, we're immediate aftermath of the beginning of COVID. Uh, we were seeing a lot of our patients not even coming in to be seen because they were worried. Um, now that we've opened up a lot, a lot more and we're able to see a lot more of our patients, uh, we're getting a lot of their, their comorbidities under control. And now that we have test, a lot more testing and uh, the vaccines more available now at most of our sites, uh, it's been, we've been able to curve a lot of, of uh, tragedy. As of this month, uh, as of this past week, we've had uh, zero uh, positive testing. So we're, we're doing, we're doing wow. pretty good here. We're making sure that uh, everyone's keeping safe and hope we're hoping during the spring break, everyone, you know, kind of stays, stays safe. Well, let, let's talk a little bit more about the, the program and, and why this is so important now as opposed to, you know, pre-existing studies. And, and, and I guess I'm asking that or kind of coming back to uh, the program and, and why this is so important because, and Andrea, we've talked about this and Ronnie Barry, you're speaking on this as well, is that data is such um, a, a crucial um, tool to help us um, come up with uh, responses to pre-existing policies and programs, you know, that oftentimes um, uh, have been have adversely affected indigenous peoples or just programs that don't exist um, that are needed to help uplift indigenous peoples. So, so again, coming back to the program and, and Native American uh, Diabetes Project, excuse me, not program, and why this is so crucial now. Real, real quick, Andrea. Uh, if I could say the real, the re another reason that I started wanted to get this started was I figured that Native Americans were so the, the diabetes is so prevalent in Native Americans right. that to have a control group of that kind of people mm -hmm. uh, and get the data from that type of people that have it so so much that we could use this kind of information for the more broader aspect of, of research. Right. So if we figure out some good data here and if this medicine, if this food works as medicine then we can show that it works across the board and maybe get that on some kind of national program. And then link, link that to uh, aspects, uh, people talk about food sovereignty and right cultural sovereignty and just indigenous sovereignty and in a much broader context and talking about sovereignty. And is that what you're, you're talking about as well? I, I think it, it can be brought into, if once, these, once it takes off, I think that it shows, I think once this shows that, Within the Native American community, these medically tailored meals can work. 
I think we'll have the opportunity to use our sovereignty, our sovereignty to bring these meals to different tribes or bring them at least to different health facilities for the Native community. But in the more broader aspect, if this does work, then we could do this for everybody, not just the Native community. But this is the most perfect control group you can use to get this kind of information. Let, let me ask, so many of us go to powwows and... We have been socialized, um, if you will, and have internalized the experience of eating fry bread and Indian tacos, and and um, you know, which is not exactly the most healthiest thing to eat. So I was wondering, how do we address um, those concerns, right, um, in terms of our own cultural? practices at, you know, say, for example, at powwows, which are very important for the larger urban uh, native populations and even in the Inland Empire, right? Because it, it is a temporary space where that is a nexus for the urban community that allows us to gather and to see each other, right? And rekindle uh, relations and make new relations. And so your, your thoughts on that? Uh, for me personally, I think it's education. Uh, you know, educating the youth to, to show them that there are healthier options. Right. It's not necessarily cutting out the tradition, but just showing that there are other options. Right. Uh, I know me and Andre have spoken about the, the <laughs> trying to, how to get that across. Uh-huh. But it's true. There is that cultural uh, space you have to pass. Right. So moderation, as they say. <laughs> yeah. that, that's, that's what I would tell my folks for sure. Like, you know, yeah. a, Diets are hard, but moderation. (laughs) And at the same time, like, I think we all know that, um, you know, fry bread is just, I'm pretty sure we all know at this point that fry bread is just like a a manifestation of like, um, you know, all of the policies that I talked about in colonization, right? Right. (laughs) And so I I also want to give just or give credit where credit is due. Like we have a number of native chefs right. like killing it and getting a lot of attention yes. and opening restaurants and returning to their original food ways. Mm-hmm. And so I think that um, the more of that type of education and popularity mm-hmm. um, that gets out there, like the the more of a chance we have, right? right. Again, about like reclaiming our traditions and, and incorporating um, those once healthy lifestyles back into the modern day. Unless there's something else that either one of you want to uh, add, um, I'd like to just kind of come back to the Native American Diabetes Project and um, both of your roles with the project. And then again, uh, for our listeners that are interested in participating in the project, how can they become participants? Yeah. Um, so I think like for me, again, the takeaway is, um, oh gosh, well, number one, like I, I can't say this enough, gratitude to Running Bear and his family right. for being the visionaries and supporters of the project. Right. They have, to my understanding, persisted for a very long time to try to get this up and running. And I, speaking for myself and Dr. Soto, um, we take this as a tremendous responsibility sure. um, to not only... Um, kind of uphold and implement their vision, but also as 
a very heavy responsibility to work with our community members who are amazing, by the way. Right. Like our cohort so far give us so much joy when we interact with them. And so I just wanted to make sure that that is out there. Yeah. Um, gratitude. And then also um, for anyone listening who is interested, um, we are a huge team of people <laughs> who have put so much thought into this and we're just ready to have you come reap the benefits of um, what hundreds and hundreds of hours of thought has been in there for. So just know that you can get food, you can get classes, you can get connection with your community members. And at the end of the day, I, um, we hope to see that you have some improvements in your um, diabetes status as well. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's it. We are ready and willing and able to do as much as we can um, for you and with you. Hello, thank you. And Running Bear, any final thoughts? Yes, uh, you know, we, we, we would love to have you guys, anyone that would like to join. This is a, a fully funded Native American, fully researched Native American project. Project Angel Food is helping us with meals, but believe us when we when say this is a Native American run research study. So we would love to have any Natives that we can come through and, you know, come get some, come get some healthy meals. And that concludes the first segment of today's program here on American Indian Airwaves. We were speaking with Dr. Andrea Garcia and Running Bear Ramirez. We were speaking on how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted the larger urban Los Angeles County population and communities, as well as the launching of a brand new study or project titled the Native American Diabetes Project. If you are an indigenous person living in Los Angeles County and wish to participate in the Native American Diabetes Project, again, the project's contact information is the email nativedm at usc.edu. That's native, N-A-T-I-V-E-D as in dog, M as in Mary, at usc.edu. Or you can call 213-764-4500. Five zero, And that wraps up the first segment here on American Indian Airwaves. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back.
The song Power in the Blood by Buffy St. Marie here on American Indian Airwaves. In the final segment of today's program, we continue with part two of our interview on a Native American veteran's perspective on Russia's invasion of the country of Ukraine. Executive producer and co-host Marcus Lopez of American Indian Airwaves speaks with a longtime community member who's a Native American veteran a member of the Native American Veterans Association and a longtime Los Angeles County community member and activist. And now part two of our interview here on American Indian Airwaves on a Native American veteran's perspective of Russia's invasion of the country of Ukraine. My uh, online name is JJ Citizen. My birth certificate name is... Jose Jesus Acevedo, Jr. I am a proud member of the Yaqui Nation, and I uh, was born in 1940. So you figure out what my age is today whenever you're hearing this. I've been with the Native American Veterans Association for many moons, also a member of Veterans for Peace, a national organization based out of St. Louis, And I'm a member of Disabled American Veterans because I am a Disabled American Vet. So uh, that's as far as my bona fides are concerned. And uh, where I am today in this uh, world, war-torn world, after uh, the post-Trumpism has infected the political structure of this, uh, of D.C., what else? Joe, on, on that note, what would you say to our young people, boys and girls, that are listening to you oh. and about the present situation as far as we know darn well that these the war machine doesn't take vacations. The war machine doesn't care who you are, what color you are. The war machine is the war machine and the system that goes with that, which their money, their budget, a second to none. But given all that, the depth and the breadth of, of this military-industrial complex, we know this it's in existence. Yeah. What do you say to the young people as far as their view of the military? Uh, what can you um, not instruct them, but advise them as far as the military, and especially when we have now the a rallying call for war, number one, and by various individuals, and number two, from these um, uh, unhopeful events that's taking place in this, never before the face of the earth has troops, regardless where they are, go into nuclear reactors and and disrupt them and and talking even about nuclear war. What do you say about that to our young people? Yeah, well. If I am uh, ever asked and honored to speak before young people, 
I like to uh, preface my comments with the uh, underlying fact that I am an elder of the uh, Yaqui uh, nation, and if I am speaking to uh, young people who are of uh, native ancestry or indigenous tribal members or whatever they are, I, uh, I would tell them to talk to their elders, their, uh, you know, parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, anybody that's still alive within their uh, family structure and find out uh, what they have to tell them about, you know, the war and the war effort and the fact that uh, you are nothing more. I speak this to, from the truth that I, was true to me. I am nothing more than fodder, fodder for the uh, military-industrial complex, as uh, Dwight Eisenhower called it way back when. He was a general and a president of the United States. Now, today, we have uh, uh, a Russian-backed uh, 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 young people that are being sent to uh, another sovereign nation, the Ukrainians. And uh, I don't know if anybody can uh, realize that the news media is not giving adequate or effective information as to the body count on both sides. But you will see that, uh, unfortunately, the Russians have been ordered and told by their military uh, advisors and, and uh, superiors to shell schools, shell businesses, shell media uh, organizations. Uh, you know, some of you may have seen pictures of a kindergarten that got shelled and uh, various and sundry uh, people are being... Uh, blown up, and a lot of the Ukrainians that are fleeing, the refugees that are fleeing the uh, westward expansion of these troops are uh, headed for uh, NATO countries, which uh, border the uh, west side of uh, Ukraine. Namely, Poland is the one that's getting a lot of it. And so, uh, for those of you that... Uh, don't know where all these countries are. Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, um, Estonia, and uh, all points west of the border of, uh, oh yeah, Ukraine. All those countries are part of the, nation, the NATO alliance and uh, they're trying to help these uh, refugees fleeing their war-torn country with hopes that it'll be over soon. Well, if you believe the Russians, uh, the Russian pre uh, president, uh, Putin, he said that uh, he has alerted his nuclear, uh, I don't know what they are, toadies or... Uh, his nuclear subordinates or those that are ready at a moment's notice to uh, destroy the entire planet 
for whatever reason, he wants to invade uh, Ukraine. There is no logical reason. He is uh, really overstepping the, the bounds of uh, all different uh, peace-loving civilians. And uh, I would just ask that uh, those young people that uh, I'm able to address, that uh, uh, check it all. As a matter of fact, check it once or twice. And uh, don't fall for the okey-doke that uh, you are saving anything other than the democratic principles that have been uh, brought over by the European invaders that came over and took over Turtle Island and uh, all the native indigenous people that were here for thousands of years. Joe, one last question. Thank you for your comments. Is that your native comrades, your native people within the organization you belong to and also native people that have family within the military, what do you think they should do? Well, I don't know as far as uh, uh, recommending. I I can't speak to uh, uh, giving anybody... Uh, a way to uh, uh, think or act about uh, joining the military or being a part of the military. Uh, And as far as Native American Veterans Association that I'm a part of, well, you can only be a member of that organization if you're of uh, Native ancestry and you happen to be a veteran. A lot of times when we meet and get together, uh, we talk about uh, how proud we are of the different branches of service that we served in. And and that makes for great uh, coffee clutch comments and um, uh, among veterans. But uh, you don't you don't know. I'd like you. I'd like you, first of all, Marcus, to read what is on the back of my t-shirt, if you will. Okay, it says veteran. A, t- a title that cannot be bought or just given, but can only be earned. A title earned with sacrifice, tears, and blood. A title that would, that I will keen for the, that I will keep for the rest of my life. I am a veteran. And I wear that shirt proudly whenever I am out in public and going to be addressing various and peace and sundry groups that are out there. Uh, right now, I'm waiting to get out on the corner of uh, uh, two streets in Ventura that called the Government Center. And we're going to be rallying there in support of the Ukrainian people. We're going to have a rally there in support of their, the civilians that are uh, finding out, you know, just what uh, being uh, uh, victims of genocidal uh, uh, efforts right now, today, today in March of 2022. This is what we're going through right now, right here, 
on this planet. And so uh, what Marcus just read from the back of my T-shirt is about the best way I can say why I consider myself a veteran. Secondly, first of all, I'm a native. And Joe, because you're native, this notion of peace is so important. It's so important to you. Why is that? Oh, yes. That's why I joined uh, Veterans for Peace and uh, a lot of peace activist groups. And uh, peace is uh, something that is very hard to attain when you butt up against a bully. And uh, nonviolence and peace go hand in hand and uh, will defeat a bully after a while. Uh, maybe not initially, but uh, after time passes and uh, the bullies either get uh, straightened out, have an awareness, or get beat up enough. The moment of silence is over. And that concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. We just wrapped up a second part of a two-part interview on a Native American veteran's perspective on Russia's invasion into Ukraine. A special thank you to our guest, Dr. Andrea Garcia, Running Bear Ramirez. A special thank you to our musical guest, Aragon star, Koopa Ina, Buffy St. Marie, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studio of Burnt Swamp Studio in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. They try not to become what they've endured. Wearing their souls on the thread. The moment of silence is over. Why your freedom manifests on their graves And the blood never comes clean from the guilty minds Nor the hands that hold the chains Silence is over.